do our five claps. One, two, two three, three, four, five. Five. Wow, that's quite the lag. <laughs> Let's get her started. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens oh, your computer who know enough about email. science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. Need a Zoom call. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security. I can only hear the small crowd in the background. But it can also be used for destruction. Can you not hear the? Are we going audio? to use it constructively? No. But if it's recording on your end, that's fine. It'll be up to you. And you too. Yeah, it's it's recording well, but I think too. Okay, that's yeah, fine. That's all good. Hey, Todd, how's it going? <laughs> oh, have we started? I <laughs> we started. I didn't see you come in. <laughs> we're, we uh, we're so today is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of uh, the mothers that listen to the show, and um, because we believe that because of that, the internet is crawling as no children are able to meet with their <laughs> mothers uh unless they are social distancing with themselves already uh you know co co-quarantine yeah that's i mean that's that's the uh, only thing so, i can think of too because i just did a uh oh now we're talking completely over each other but hopefully i'll be able to sort most of this out in editing we'll see yeah. Um, but yeah, I just drove up to, uh, at, to Hood River and I met with my mom and dad there um, and we had to go get some to-go food and we went out into a big empty parking lot and did a little tailgate picnic, kind of s- uh, sitting apart from each other and did it that way. But then we did a Zoom call with my brother and sister and the family that they live in Minnesota. Uh, and so they we, we did a zoom call and so everything was super hitching and the internet is terrible everywhere and the only thing i can figure out is that it's, it's mother's day it's but, mother's and day and i see you reacting to my zoom background <laughs> i love your zoom background i pulled a mark <laughs> so, so yeah i did before i talked before i talked to my parents i did what mark did last week which to just tape the background oh you can see my head poke in because i had to press I had to press stop, just tape the empty desk background and do a couple walkthroughs in the back. So I was able to do that with my family. And it took three times for me to walk by in the background before they noticed anyone else. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've we've made a couple different versions of that. And the, the best the best one so far is Nick just progressively carrying larger items in the background that one is so amazing (laughs) that huge that huge lazy susan is just i mean it literally is the size of captain america's shield it's It's amazing yeah it's 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 great (laughs) Um, well, besides the joke that was the beginning of the show so far, <laughs> with me being well, unable to hear, did I, we have a joke? I didn't have it. I didn't have a joke, but I had a, a a near miss incident. Did you hear that there was a there was a small meteorite that was headed for Legoland? Oh uh, my gosh, the, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, well, the damage uh, expected was going to be fifty square blocks. <laughs> It was a tiny meteorite. It was little. That's terrible. But I'll allow it. All right. Uh, yeah. So um, 
All right. Well, let's let yeah, let's attempt to dive into some news here. Again, if this uh even if I fix many of the pauses, it'll probably sound a little hitchy on the other end, but let's plow through. So, I um depending on how closely people like documentaries about weird things you may have heard about billy mitchell uh he was part of a documentary called the king of kong which was about this huge uh controversy as the british would say about his high score uh in donkey kong and whether or not that was a falsified cheated score it's it's this crazy story that has now spanned like 25 or 30 years of time so i'm not going to read this I forget where I found this uh, article, but it was like a wired level length <laughs> that just went on and on and on. So I'll kind of get the broad stroke. So in the April of two, in April of 2018, Twin Galaxies, which is a um, in uh, a retro arcade, I believe in Iowa somewhere, but they founded a lot of these high scores, and that's they kind of gained popularity through the 80s and 90s for holding these high score contests and really milking a lot. So they're kind of the the leaders of the arcade uh, owners. So their video game scoreboard announced its finding that the well-known classic game score chaser Billy Mitchell did not achieve his high scores on unmodified arcade harder. Uh, hardware, stripping him of all his records in the pro uh, process. So that made it sound a little weird, but he was found. Um, basically, there's all of these things that he did to kind of modify the circuit boards or to how it was videoed, or it's this all this crazy thing, which he was uh, found guilty of. But Billy Mitchell now is suing because the way he cheated isn't the way it really happened, but now he has what he's calling an implicit cheater label put on him. And it's all of this insane drama, which is, so it's, if, if, uh, if the people listening have not seen King of Kong and there's a couple other, I think, follow-ups that this guy is basically the, the Joe exotic of the arcade, the classic arcade without a lot of the moral, moral lack of integrity that that joe exotic has but still still quite quite a bit of a character yeah i don't think that any um hitmen were were involved uh but yeah the this yes. the story was uh gripping and that documentary is great and uh yeah this is so in the so right he's he's now suing for libel laws basically it is he's had this cheater moniker yeah it says uh put on him and so now he's trying to uh sue about that, that yeah so he says uh the published statement from twin galaxies regarding his scores was quote libelous on its face because of the implication that he did not achieve his high score legitimately um Let's see. He argues that Twin Galaxies, quote, at least implied that he was a cheater, that he was a cheater so that any reasonable reader would understand Twin Galaxies had called Mitchell a cheater who deserved punishment by stripping him of all his records and banning him for life from submitting further records. So, yeah, it's basically a the way that he says the lawsuit was formatted made him look like a cheater regardless of the outcome i think got it got it so i mean i think it's pretty well established he did cheat in some way but i can't remember all of the all of the details there um 
Well, Mark, why don't you take us? There's a scandal erupting in the Catholic Church right now, according to this article that basically sounds like if the National Enquirer did nothing but (laughs) cover news. So I love the way that it's written because it sounds like they're talking about like Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt or something. (laughs) Yeah. So Pope Benedict's fury with Pope Francis over holy water gaffe exposed. (laughs) Even that title. Yeah, it's a great title. So as we know, Pope Benedict lives on the grounds of uh, Vatican City. and Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he he lives in his own quarters there. And Pope Francis is uh, the reigning pope. Pope Benedict uh, abdicated uh, the the title and uh and submitted to uh have you know be basically retiring while you're still alive which hasn't been done in like 500 years and uh and so the uh, pope francis has sparked anger after his controversial comments surrounding whiskey being quote the real holy water an expert claimed <laughs> so expert Lida Telford believes Pope Benedict and other Vatican hardliners won't like the fact that he made the passing comment amid concerns Benedict is making Francis life a a something that I cut off it's something that he cut off so uh, in April footage emerged of Francis claiming that whiskey was the real holy water during a meeting with Scottish priests in 2019 and it was recorded as part of a BBC preschool documentary. And in the clip, Francis was seen accepting a bottle of Oban malt whiskey. So, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I, and it's hard to tell over over a podcast, but this article is filled with filled with just tiny quotes. Which so, like when they say the quote "real holy water" and quote "won't like," and so it's clearly like rumors of a rumors of a telephone game of a something that happened that this gossip this this birdie gossip lady picked up yeah it makes it sound like pope benedict's gonna be furious but that's literally one person's opinion that he might rumor a rumor that he might yeah he probably won't like that (laughs) (laughs) well it's funny because i've been uh since the Quarantine and all that. The NBA has obviously been canceled, and the the boy that I work with, Colin, is obsessed with the NBA and is just beside himself that there isn't games and things to follow. And so, every day he kind of he kind of knows how to Google things, but not really. So he'll just put like NBA in and all these news sites that have nothing to report on because there's no games just report all of. The, I mean, they're basically all stories like this. So I've been having to walk him through. All right, well, it said the word might, and what does might mean, and what does if means, and what does could mean, and I feel all of America sort of needs a lesson like that right now of what all of these couching, what they, in the advertising world, they call it puffery and, and empty words that make something sound legitimate when it's not, so, um, so I want you to tell me. The next headline is Grimes and Elon Musk just welcomed a newborn baby boy named <laughs> named Ash. And how I what is now do you know what it's supposed how it's supposed to be pronounced? It's pronounced Ash, A S H. Now, how does that work? So, uh 
new newborn baby Ash from uh, from the womb of uh, Grimes <laughs> and Elon Musk's. Yeah. Now, who uh, is this Grimes person? Um, not to interrupt. No, she she's a uh, artist and singer. Uh, okay. And uh, I I can't think of her first name. I don't see it on the list. Um, but her last name is Grimes, and she's super famous. And I should know her name. But uh, she and Elon had a baby, and it's um, the X A E A twelve. And I looked. I'm looking up the A E symbol, and it, I can't find a name for it. Oh, uh, interesting. Uh, I know just, you can do it on your phones. If you hold down A, it will give you that option. In old English, it was called ash tree a e s c ash tree uh so and so its traditional name in england is still ash so ash is the a symbol and so they're just calling them ash but uh the the problem is uh technology and so until and until Elon Musk becomes king of the world and replaces <laughs> our technology with new technology. Meanwhile, he was born in California and California has uh, a, a policy in place that you can only use the 26 characters of the English language in your baby name. So no umlauts or accents or, or anything for anybody's name. And the sole exception, I believe, is the apostrophe. They might have just. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The apostrophe for a name like O'Connor is acceptable. And that's it. Uh, Yeah, but if it's like Jose, J-O-S-E, there's no spot for the the accent. accent mark. Yeah, yeah. And so it is literally the 26 characters of the English language and a, a so if if the AE symbol is ash, then why is it X A E and then A minus twelve? Like what is the meaning of the rest of this? Uh, so uh, Grimes posted a uh, a breakdown of um, where these names came from. Hold on, so. I guess I'm just learning how, having to learn how to pronounce this because in three years, all of these kids will be in my Sunday school class and they're all going to be named after math equations. <laughs> um, okay, so X is the unknown variable X. Ash, my elven spelling of AI. A12 <laughs> is the precursor to the SR-17, our favorite aircraft. No weapons, no defenses, just speed. Great in battle, but not violent. And A is for arc. Sorry, is that just meant to be pronounced X-12? Or is it not to be pronounced at all? What are we to do with this? I don't think... So Elon was on a uh, podcast the other day and said that it's pronounced Ash. Well, right. And I get that, but like... <laughs> That explains that one letter of it. All the letters together? That would... Ash. (laughs) That's like T-O-D-D Ash R-Q-9 is just pronounced Ash. Ash, yes. Oh, well, that's incredibly irritating. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's move on to the ad- most adorable story, and I'm I might I'm struggling with what I might use for for our uh, our show picture this week on Facebook. But there's a story from Japan or to- yeah Tokyo, a Tokyo aquarium needs you to FaceTime their shy eels right now. I saw that. So the coronavirus had sh- uh, has been. Shutdowns have been causing the Sumidia Aquarium to make an unlikely request asking people to video call the organization's 300 garden eels. So they're asking people to uh, FaceTime in because these little garden eels, they're called, and they're just the cutest. They look like pipe cleaners that you would just stick in the ground or like how asparagus grows just straight up out of the ground. But if that piece of asparagus had like a little eye on the end and they're just face yeah they're super cute they just stick out of the ground but they get scared when people come around obviously and so they quick suck back into the ground but um the aquarium needed them to be inspected and so whenever the keepers were coming by they would all hide so they want people to get or they want the eels to get used to what it looks like to have people looking at them so they've set up some ipads uh, at the glass of the tank and are having people just call in so that the eels get used to just giant faces looking at them. Um, so they're looking for... Uh, oh, shoot, this... Uh, oh, I guess it just passed. It was between May 3 and May 5, I guess. But they uh, were hoping to get a bunch of people to call in for like 10 minutes at a time. So, Indeed. Uh, so I hear that the naked bike ride got officially canceled as a as a group gathering, but uh, they um, w- what I heard from another TV show. Well, and that's why I, I put the headline that they're there. Just encouraging people to ride naked on that day by themselves. Okay. Have yeah. You heard I, this? Well, I heard the reason I, in the show notes it has the bike ride canceled or whatever but i did think i I thought i heard other people talking about how it's still gonna be happening so that's why i just kind of put the headline in there so it's just gonna maybe be unofficial yes uh yeah it's gonna be unofficial or or non-sanctioned centralized not oh okay okay and so they're just telling people to ride naked that day which which seems ill-advised like just (laughs) a group of naked people has one tone to it (laughs) one dude going down the street naked (laughs) has an entirely different tone (laughs) and and, and so uh good luck with that yeah that's funny and i think i've probably told this many times on the podcast but maybe six or seven years ago when i was living in north portland that uh that went right past my house and for so two hours I had naked bike ride participants just flowing past and there's just nothing that desensitizes you to nudity like part of me wants to say like every kid under 10 should just have to go watch this because it just demystifies everything about the human body (laughs) and like just makes it a the utilitarian object that it should be viewed as just a a gross deformed monstrous thing hunched over a bicycle is just not anything that is flattering to anyone uh that that would uh i i want you to be in charge of our education system 
Uh, anyway, done. so this next this next part is going to be a little trickier since I'm not going to be able to hear it. So I'm going to read the little story first. Did you did you hear this article? Did, did you hear the story? I did. Okay. I did. Uh, so the, uh, this uh, story goes, the sum of human history and technology uh, led to a point Wednesday, this was past Wednesday, where the sound of a flushing toilet could be heard while the highest court in America was listening to arguments over the phone during a global pandemic. So the flushing toilet could be heard while attorney Roman Martinez was diligently arguing in Bar v. American Association of Political Consultants, Inc., over the question of whether the Telephone Consumer Protection Act uh, of 1991's robocall ban is, quote, an unconstitutional content-based uh, based restriction of speech. So they're talking about banning robocalls, which is a big thing that everybody wants. And in the background, naked gun style, you just hear a <laughs> toilet flush. So, Mark, uh, there's a little so video I, in there. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So I think you will be able to hear this. Okay. So let's... let's uh be saying, hey, call your congressman and uh, change these laws that apply to banks. And what the FCC has said is that when the subject matter of the call ranges to the topic, then the call is transformed. And it's, it's yeah. a call that would have been allowed. <laughs> Did you hear that? I could barely hear it over okay. just the incidental, but. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So poor Roman Martinez, he, he didn't bat an eye. He didn't get flustered. He kept, he just powered through, but uh, clearly one of the, uh, one of the people on the call, which could have been the justices or their aides, um, uh, used the facilities, did not mute, and then did flush. And uh, there's somebody in the world who knows who that is, uh, but that wasn't made public. So we don't That's know. So, well, one. it's, um, it's kind of amazing. I mean, maybe somebody just like threw a tissue in and absentmindedly did this but you did not hear any bathroom goings on before that so i wonder if they did the thing where it's kind of like right now where i'm talking and my zoom box lights up to show that i'm kind of taking the microphone over <laughs> i wonder if they just thought well my microphone is muted it's not going to pick up on this and they just forgot until right. a loud noise suddenly took over the zoom call but it does sound like I foley think they, art i think they they call that dropping a verdict <laughs> da -da 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 -da. you have all the sound effects over there that's the biggest the biggest lament of the quarantine is that i'm absent of my of all Your, of my sounders yeah <laughs> so that was also kind of a monumental day it was literally the first time that uh proceedings in the supreme court were able to be heard live by uh, the general public and so there's, oh, there's no there's no um, uh, cameras allowed in the Supreme Court and there's no um, audio live feed of that going going out or uh, there are recordings made for legal purposes right but um, but generally only sketch artists artists are allowed and you only get that uh, kind of outcome uh, so they did this call over over Zoom uh, or uh, another technology, and the public was allowed to listen in. And so this was the first time that the Supreme Court was streamed live to the general public, and it included a toilet flush. That's that. Well, yeah, that's it's so 
like did they did the justices were they on camera or was it just audio? No. Okay, because I was just gonna audio. say just seeing Ruth Bader Ginsburg face like way too close to the <laughs> to the monitor and no. Nope. Justice Roberts forgets to wear his pants like that one TV anchor. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Sotomayor's cat walks by in the background. I'm I I'm basically just trying to think of how many chief justices I know, and I'm surprised I got to three. <laughs> There's only one chief justice. <laughs> That's true. So how do you just yeah? So uh, yeah. I, anyway, I once so. knew them all, but yeah. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, um, moving on. Uh, researchers use a computer chip in a patient's brain to restore a sense of touch after a spinal cord industry. So it is. Uh, this is from Columbus, Ohio. Ian Burkhart suffered a severe spinal cord injury in 2010 because he dove into the sh- into a shallow wave and hit a sandbar that paralyzed him instantly, which is just awful. Um, So the researchers have succeeded in connecting neural signals between Burkhart's brain and arm. The breakthrough system is able to harness signals that are usually too small to perceive. It enhances them and then sends it to the patient. So, quote, we're talking sub-perceptual touch events and boosting them into conscious perception, said the researcher. Uh, It was a big eureka moment when we first restored the patient's sense of touch. So um, it implants a small computer chip into the brain and places a series of electrodes on the patient's skin. Hey, I'm used to electrodes. I think I'm addicted to my electrode machine in the same way that I am tattoos. I think I mentioned that last time because I think at this point my body kind of needs a rest from it because I just do it for hours on end every night. And I just keep convincing myself that I should just still use it anyway. Because <laughs> I, but anyway, so this uses electrodes. Uh, after the connection is made to the arm, wires route the movement signals from his brain straight to the muscles, avoiding the damage caused by the spinal injury. Um, so he now has enough control over his arm to lift a cup, swipe a credit card, or even play video games like Guitar Hero. A Guitar Hero mic is what I'm using right now. Uh, the Ohio researchers add that their system works very much like how a cell phone or video game controller lets the user know something is going on, like using haptic feedback. Does your switch, your switch has that haptic feedback, doesn't it? Little, like it'll vibrate or react. Now to a wine heist, like, sorry. Yes. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, blah, blah, blah. So that's pretty cool. And I don't, thankfully Bill Gates is not, uh, behind that plan of implanting microchips, so hopefully hopefully he's not trying to euthanize all people with spinal cords through implanting microchips into us. So anyway, this other one too and um did you did you hear this story? I was, did not. I'm reading it for the first time and now, it sounds amazing. It's amazing. So I'll read through it and you can watch the video and I'm not quite sure how to handle the video because it's just it's a video of a newscast but it has video of the uh, incident. So uh, this is on Fun Employment, uh, either Thursday or Friday, but it's amazing. So man climbs under moving big rig filled with wine and begins drinking from the tank. So I'll try to remember to put this in the in the Facebook uh, notes for this uh, and uh, and the show notes for this on the on the website. Uh, so this is from Modesto. The Modesto CHP agre- uh, arrested Gabriel Marino after he allegedly jumped on a moving tanker truck carrying bulk red wine, 
climbed under its belly to unscrew the valve and drank the wine as the truck traveled up Highway 99. So the dash cam video shows Moreno in a sedan putting his hazard lights on and directing the truck onto the side of the highway. So the, dr uh, the driver pulled over, believing he thought he had a mechanical problem, only to see Moreno get out of the car only with his underwear on. Uh, Marino is then shown running onto the passenger side of the truck as the truck is trying to pull away and out of view. Uh, he then, ca the, as the truck goes back onto the freeway, the camera captures Marino jump back into view, then on the back of the wine truck with no shirts and shoes. He rides on the side of the trailer. This is like Tom Cruise in his Mission Impossible movies <laughs> hanging onto a side of the airplane. The video then shows him climb underneath the truck as it hits freeway speeds. That's when the driver noticed a dashboard gauge showing he was losing fluids, hundreds of gallons of wine onto the freeway. So they lost about a thousand gallons of wine, most of it in uh, about 5,000 bottles worth. Uh, ending up on <laughs> Highway 99. So I'm assuming you're watching the video and doesn't, I mean, it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. And uh, yeah, and there's so many parts of this. Like, why is he only in his underwear? <laughs> Was he kicked out of quarantine and didn't have one, like, and pretty handy. Like, I don't know if I could find the valve to <laughs> un unleash the wine in a, a truck even so if I had all my clothes on. It showed a little bit of the video, but it looks like the same sort of spigot that you see. Not, I guess not spigot, but the same sort of attachment that uh, you see at gas stations when they're refilling the tanks. How it has that, oh, I don't know, six or eight inch uh, diameter pipe fitting yeah. that fits on there. So he climbed onto the ladder and just <clears throat> opened that sucker up and just stuck his face just right in like it. a champion. It's amazing. <laughs> So local, he goes into our local hero file, like the guy who put the electric fence by the children's bus stop. So kudos <laughs> to you, Gabriel Marino. Uh, the most exciting thing to happen in Modesto in decades. Seriously, seriously. <laughs> and and part of this article actually uh, referred to the Modesto EHP officer. Tom Olson says, I've listened to thousands and thousands and thousands of calls and this is up in the top 10. It's so yes. literally it uh it gave everybody a uh uh surprise. Yeah, that's pretty great. Step. And it doesn't sound like anyone was hurt and there's some wine lost, but <clears throat> champion to all, Gabriel Marino. <laughs> Thank you for that story. So <sighs> anything else we want to kind of throw on the news pile? I have I've been kind of distant from local Portland news, so is there anything else <clears throat> kind of going on around there? Um, I, not that I know of, like we've literally, uh, so Brian, the Unipiper has been engaged in, uh, kind of birthday salutes. So he does a social distancing event where he will come to the house and ride around in the street in front of the house, uh, and, and play the bagpipes and, and be on his unicycle. And uh, that's that's kind of been the most exciting thing in, in our lives. Uh, our our neighbor, uh, Jackie, is uh, our good friend. And we were able to arrange a uh, Unipiper sighting in front of her place uh, this last weekend. And it was great. Oh, fun. Is it more unsettling when I look directly into the Zoom camera? 
Can no. you tell? Like, it every, looks like you're looking at me. I know. Whenever people are doing Zoom, they're looking off to the screen or whatever. And so oh. I wondered if it was just weird to actually look into somebody's eyes as they looked into Zoom. Oh, look, the, <laughs> the, the setting sun is setting in my weird COVID mustache. It's it's backlighting. It's backlighting the, the weird trucker stash I have going on. Anyway, yeah, well, we'll be we'll be happy when that's over. Yes. So this week, I thought we would take a look at something that happened around this time in history. And so I didn't do the math. This happened in 1930, 1937. So I'm not sure how the math works out on this. But on May 6, 1937, a an event that we kind of know about, but uh, a lot of it because it was one of the first memes, I would say, is oh, hearing the audio yeah. of this broadcast. I didn't even think about that until until just right now that this is one of the first heavily shared memes, both audio and video, and that is the Hindenburg. And so I kind of uh, wanted to look a little bit into the Hindenburg and it's, it's past and we kind of all know how it ending, but there's a couple interesting things. Uh, just about it in general that I thought I'd go into. So uh, the Hindenburg was the lead ship of the Hindenburg class, which was the longest class of the flying machines and the largest airship by envelope volume. Uh, it was de- it was designed by the Zeppelin Company uh, and flew from 1936 until 14 months later when it was destroyed in a fire uh, in the Manchester Township, New Jersey. So that was the Lakehurst Naval Air Station when you see the video or the picture of the um, the Hindenburg on fire that was at the Lakehurst uh, Naval Air Station in New Jersey. So this was the last of the greatest airship disasters. It was preceded by these crashes. So in 1921, uh, the British R-32, these are uh, uh, all the big airships, uh, killed 44. In 1922, a U.S. airship called the Roma killed 34. Uh, the French Dixmude uh, in 1923 killed 52. Uh, in 1930, 48 were killed in Britain. And in 1933, in uh, the USS Akron, killed 73. So between 1933 and 1937, there doesn't seem to have been any um, until the Hindenburg. So it was, late, it was named after Paul von Hindenburg, who was president of Germany from 1925 until 1934 mm. when he died. So the guy right before uh, Hitler came to power uh, was mm. named von Hindenburg. Um, mm. So the Zeppelin company who built it proposed it to be 778 feet long and carry 4.5 cubic feet of hydrogen. It was going to be run by 10 Maybach engines, uh, or to, which powered then five tandem engine cars. So uh, the disaster of the Hindenburg prompted the company to reconsider the use of hydrogen. Uh, or the, not that, that was not the... Uh, the one of the previous crashes, I'm sorry, the R101, which is in the 20s, uh, that crash prompt, prompted the company to use uh, helium instead of hydrogen. So that will come and uh, come back into play in a little bit. So Germany was building their airships with helium at that point, not hydrogen. So the Hindenburg had a duraluminum uh, outside, which was an uh, age-hardened alloy made from aluminum. And it incorporated 15 Ferris wheel-like main ring bulkheads along its length. And it had 16 cotton gas bags uh, fitted between them, which held all of the uh, all of the gas. So um, 
The airship's outer skin was uh, was made of cotton mixed with a uh, reflective material intended to protect the gas bags from radiation, both ultraviolet, uh, which would damage them, and infrared, which would cause them to overheat. So the gas cells were treated with a new method pioneered by Goodyear using multiple uh, layers of uh, gelatinized latex rather than the previous gold beater. It's something called gold beater's skins. So I looked that up. And previous to this new thing developed by Goodyear, uh, the gold it was made. The, everything was made out of something called Goldbeater skin, and that was the processed outer membrane of the intestines of animals, typically typically an ox, valued for its strength against tearing. The term derives from the traditional use as durable layers uh, between sheets of gold stock during make, uh, making the process of gold leaf. Uh, by gold beating, it was called. So I thought that was a weird, a weird side tangent that those huge airships were all made with like treated ox bladders or whatever, which is weird. That is, I had no idea about that. Yeah, I remember growing up, I, and I think they used to do this more, but uh, canes, like if you walked around with a mobility cane, they were made of cat gut. And I don't right. know if it was just this huh. one guy or, but I just remember it was very highly lacquered and like twisted. And so in my brain, I couldn't like, I still don't know if it was just actually the guts of cats or if that was just the treatment process or I don't know, maybe you can give us a little answer on that in a little, in we'll a, see what in I a can couple find. minutes. So yeah, the Hindenburg's interior uh, furnishings included uh, two main decks. The upper main deck consisted of small passengers quarters uh, which was flanked by a large a large public rooms in the middle. One was a dining room and the other was a port and a lounge and a writing, a writing room to the starboard. And it had long slanted windows. If you remember in Indiana Jones and the, um, and the last crusade, I don't know, maybe they did jump on the actual Hindenburg there, but you'll remember their little scene there of them in the, in the blimp. And they had the big, the big, uh, window slanted windows to look at so that's where passengers were expected to uh, spend their most of their time uh not in their cramped cabin so i imagine it was much like a cruise ship so the right the, the lower deck then contained washrooms a mess hall for the crew and a smoking lounge so listen to this so a representative for the zeppelin company um remembered that quote the only entrance to the smoking room which was a pressure which was pressurized to prevent the admission of any leaking hydrogen was through <laughs> the bar which was <laughs> was through the bar which had a swiveling airlock door and all departing passengers were scrutinized by the bar steward to make sure they were not carrying out a lit cigarette or pipe <laughs> so it was just like what a, what a what what a bad set of uh, ingredients for a disaster. Just <laughs> let's yes, uh, let's yeah, let's have humans with lit uh, fire <laughs> items <laughs> aboard a uh, ship made out of explosive materials. Uh, yeah, but I mean that that apparently worked for years and years <clears throat> and years because. Um, the use, uh, the, the, so this section is the use of hydrogen instead of helium. So like I said, helium was initially selected for the lifting gas because it was the safest as it was not flammable. At the time, however, helium was really rare. I think we've actually, in the duration of this mm -hmm. podcast, had a, had a story at, at one point about how helium was again um, becoming more rare because you have to mine it out of rocks, which is strange. Um, 
so helium was relatively rare and expensive as the gas was unavailable in industrial quantities. Uh, and it um, so hydrogen, by comparison, could be produced cheaply and industrialized nations anywhere. Uh, and being lighter than helium also provided more lift. So there was a U.S. ban on the export of helium before. This is my favorite. The Helium Control Act of 1927. Um <laughs> So despite that act, the Germans dis, uh, designed their airship to use the safer gas helium in the belief that they could convince the U.S. government to license its export. So um, when they did learn that the ban would not be lifted, they were forced to re re-engineer the Hindenburg to use hydrogen for lift. So uh, flammable hydrogen was the only alternate uh, gas that can pursue that could produce that much lift. So. Um, so even though they did have a long history of hydrogen-filled passenger uh, ships without anything really happening, um, it only took the Hindenburg to realize why maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. So um, it did uh, run. Uh, so for five years uh, the, after the construction began in 1931, it made its So it took five years to build. So now we're in 1936. And so it had its first flight with 87 passengers on and crew on board. And it had all the luminaries like the company chairman and a commander of the army and a commander from World War One and all that. Um, so it took a while for it to get the name uh, Hindenburg to be lettered on the side in high Frank. I, I enjoy this detail. The font that was used for the Hindenburg letter is called Fraktur, F-R-I-K-T-U-R, which was uh, named after one of the designers of propaganda material. So, um, so for the first part of its life, the Hindenburg was used in political rallies and something, and Mark, I don't know if you can find this spot. I've highlighted it in the show notes. I wanted you to go to the definition page of this German word because it's my favorite and it basically just means like a celebration of Germany. So they would have the Hindenburg fly around to different uh, rallies and stuff like that. And did you, can, did you find that spot? <clears throat> yeah, I did. Okay, so why don't uh, you yeah, click so on Deutschlandfahrt. Yario? Yeah. Deutschlandfahrt. <laughs> Deutschlandfahrt. Deutschlandfahrt. Uh, Deutschlandfahrt. And so uh Fahren in uh in German is to travel. And so Oh yeah, so it meant to uh, travel around Germany. Deutschlandfahrt. Exactly. But it does have a T at the end, <laughs> which I enjoyed rather much. So <laughs> Yeah. So uh, awesome. for three weeks and six flights, it kind of flew around different dockyards and um, made a public debut with a propaganda flight uh, around Germany, which is what the Deutschland fart, uh, and followed by a trip to Rio de Janeiro. So um, while this is all happening, obviously Hitler is coming into power and trying to remilitarize uh, re a lot of um, publicly owned things and... Without getting too deep into it, the Hindenburg itself was part of that because it could be used for spying and, and propaganda and all that. So, of course, it was at, basically, I th think of it as um, it, the Hindenburg was an essential worker of the time and was d taken over by by the uh, the German army to fly around. And uh, Joseph Goebbels himself demanded that the company made two more airships to fly in tandem around Germany uh, during voting times to they would throw out leaflets and propaganda um, posters and and different different propaganda things to the German people via the blimp so um, they did that uh, but then we get into the commercial traffic oh it would also broadcast I thought 
you know, this would oddly work well in sections of Americans right now. So it says, as millions of Germans watched from below, the two giants of the skies sailed over Germany for four days and three nights, dropping propaganda leaflets, blaring martial music and slogans, and broadcasting political speeches from makeshift radio studios above the Hindenburg. So, oh, my word. Um, but then it turns commercial, so it goes to Rio de Janeiro, like I said, and on the way back from Rio de Janeiro, it has um, a, a bunch of problems. Engine number four failed, and then two more of the ten engine fails, and, and there's a couple other things that happened, and there's some scarring on one of the fins because of that. But um, that aside, they were able to repair it. Uh, the flight took, let's see, the nine-day flight covered about 12,700 uh, 12, miles in 203 hours and 32 minutes. So um, nine days and all four uh, engines were later overhauled and fixed and all that. So now it's ready to head to uh, America. So in May and June of 1936, uh, oh, first we go to England because get this, the, um, the Germans, where does it say this here? The German wanted the Germans wanted to show off their new airship and all of that, and so um, they made a visit, a surprise visit to England, and so they flew over they flew low over West Yorkshire town in Kitely, and a parcel was thrown overboard that landed in High Street. Uh, two boys retrieved it and found that they uh, there was a, a bouquet of carnation and a couple small crosses and an official note, uh, and the note read quote. To the finder of this letter, please deposit these flowers and cross on the grave of my dear brother, Lieutenant Franz Schulte. And then it gave the address of the cemetery in Leeds, which is uh, near Kitely. And many thanks, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there's a lot of speculation that uh, perhaps these flights had a, a little more sinister uh, agenda to them as it uh, caused them to flow very low over England uh, in, the, in the lead up to a war. So... Um, but the airship was said to be so stable that a pen or pencil could be balanced on end atop a table without falling. And its launches were so smooth that passengers often missed them, believing the airship was still docked to its mooring. That was another thing on board the uh, cruise ship, too, is it was kind of difficult to feel when you were tethered and, and when it took off. But I will say with mm -hmm. the cruise ship, once they were out of like the no wake zone that goes through most of the ports, you could feel that thing accelerate. And those cruise ships just get to clocking so fast. Oh, oh look, yeah. I walked past in the background again. I caught myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been watching. <laughs> oh, nice. You've been catching it. Um, oh, yeah. So the uh, one way, if you wanted to go from Germany <laughs> to the United States, you would have paid $400, which is the equivalent of about $7,300 right now. Um, obviously, passengers were affluent and usually entertainers, notice, noted sportsmen, political fi uh, figures, and leaders of industry, captains of industry. Um, so uh, I was flown over the Olympic Stadium, the 1936 German Olympics. Uh, and it had an experimental aircraft hook-on trapeze, similar to one on the U.S. Uh, Navy Goodyear blimp, uh, which was intended to allow customs officials to be flown out to the Hindenburg to process passengers before flying and or before landing and retrieving mail. So I couldn't find a picture of that, but I didn't know if that was like you sent out actual people or it was to send up a parcel. Um, so it's my understanding, uh, these Zeppelins would have hooks that, uh, a, like a biplane that has an open canopy could, uh, 
fly up and dock and be hooked and then turn off and then a ladder is lowered and they would shimmy up the ladder into uh, into the quarters wow just like the guy just like ramirez who is drinking the wine from the moving thing (laughs) maybe he lost his job that's where he learned it yeah (laughs) he lost his job as the the parcel zeppelin (laughs) inspector well i do remember in the in the when they were building the empire state building they were building the chrysler building at the same time and there was not only a race to see who can build it faster but it was a who was going to build it taller and for the longest time the chrysler building had in its plans that it was the going to be the highest but unknowns to the chrysler people the uh, empire state building people had a plan that they built a the giant antenna slash zeppelin mooring antenna inside the shell of the empire state building and after they finished it they literally just raised it out of the center of the shaft of the empire state building was like take that rockefeller we're now like eight feet taller than you to as a big surprise and but they never did and i think they might have done one or two little um, moorings of uh, a zeppelin to the empire state building but obviously that was around this same time and it was um, we are moving away from zeppelins to more uh, more stable stable aircraft. So, but now that we're in the United States, um, we have the Hindenburg visiting. So it arrived on. Um, let's see, it left Frankfurt uh, on the evening of May three, and it was a three day uh, three day trip. So uh, there was lots of thunderstorms passing. So they lend, uh, like I said, they end up in Lakehurst. And like I also said, they're not using helium because helium is banned in the United States. They're using uh, hydrogen. So the Hindenburg's arrival on the 6th of May was delayed for several hours to avoid a line of thunderstorms passing over Lakehurst. But around 7 o'clock, the airship was cleared for its final approach. At 7.21 p.m., a pair of landing lines were dropped from the nose of the ship and were uh, grabbed by a group of ground handlers. Four minutes later, at 7.25, the Hindenburg burst into flames and dropped to the ground in little over a half a minute. So it took just over 30 seconds for the entire thing to burn to the ground. Uh, Over 36 passengers and 61 crew aboard Oh, of the 36 passengers, excuse me, um, and 61 crew aboard, 13 passengers and 22 crew died. So oddly, uh, uh, just under half of or maybe two thirds of the people on board uh, were able to survive, which is interesting. Uh, and one person on the ground for a total of 36 total people lost their lives. So, and Herbert Morrison's commentary on the incident became a classic of audio history. Now, I don't know if that link in the notes there links to anything with the audio. I can always just put it at the end of the show, Mark. But um, most people have heard it, but it's worth, um, actually, I'll just put it at the end of the show because I think it might need to be edited. Uh, down a little bit but um, I'll put that at the end of the show but it's the oh the humanity oh I mean he's literally just watching it burn to the ground so very much like I said the one of the first memes we know it now is you see a big oh the human huge manatee with the picture of the manatee burning to the ground and that meme is how we see it a lot these days which is hilarious Um, so now we get into um, 
like I said, it takes 30 seconds. So the exact location of the initial fire, its source of ignition, and the source of fuel remains subject of debate. The cause of the accident has, has never been uh, determined conclusively, although many hypotheses have been proposed. So sabotage theories notwithstanding, uh, one hypothesis often puts forth the uh, a combination of gas leakage and atmospheric static conditions. So they're thinking that maybe escaped hydrogen gas um, uh, either from incom uh, incomplete or damaged vents along the top of the vessel or near the rear upper tail fin. Uh, they typically burn and mix with air and can explode with, uh, when mixed with air in the right proportions. So this, along with the high static collected from flying in stormy conditions, could have been uh, combined to ignite the leaking gas. So another more recent theory involves the airship's outer covering. The silvery cloth cutting uh, covering contained material including cellulose. Now, if you know anything about film, like actual motion picture film, that is celluloid, which is based on cellulose and incredibly flammable, which is a lot of uh, reason we lost a lot of like the first decade or f almost 15 years of film because it's so easily caught on fire. And that's why it's always stored in like where the Mormons store their genealogy stuff and like exactly the mountains of Utah. Um, so uh, the silvery cloth made of cellulose nitrate, which is highly flammable. And I think that actually might be the exact same stuff. It had to be a little bit reflective else it would get too hot, you know. So, but this theory is controversial and has been rejected by other researchers because the outer skin burns too slowly to account for the rapid flame propagation that you see in the mm. uh, movie footage or in the film footage. So, and the gaps in the fire correspond with internal gas cell divisions, which would not be visible if the fire had spread across the skin first. So that one kind of has um, gone by the laid side. So a lot of the framework was salvaged and shipped back to uh, Germany, uh, where it was recycled for the Luftwaffe. So we have that to thank for, for World War II. So very, oh, there I am in the background again, picking up my VHS tapes. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's interesting that it's still sort of an unsolved mystery of sorts of how it actually, uh, the fire started. But I mean, 30 seconds, which is crazy. I, I guess maybe 30 seconds it took for the actual air-filled blimp to start, but maybe longer for the the passengers and the deck portions and, and all of that. So maybe that's why so many of them were able to survive the actual crash of it. So... But I, I remember when I was a kid, um, I went over to a friend. Sid Wind was my uh, was my good friend in elementary school. And I remember going over to his house and spending some Friday night or whatever. And I wasn't used to watching watching much TV in my house. But they were watching some like ABC Sunday night movie. And it was about the Hindenburg. And I just remember it was like some uh. dramatized whatever nonsense. And I just remember scenes of like the two characters meeting covertly like and you see the big ballasts or whatever behind them and like the inner skeletal works and then the big f dramatic fire. And I don't remember why I remember that from growing up, but I just always remember that TV TV movie version of it. So, <laughs> but I could, the last couple things on that. So kind of the recap, um, the Hindenburg itself was 803 feet. Uh, the diameter was 135 feet, a volume of uh, just over 7 million cubic feet. Uh, to hold the gas that had a crew of 40 to 61 and a passenger capacity of just 50 to 70. So it's interesting that 
Although I guess that that is would be the same for an airplane, but you think that would be so little that it wouldn't be worth paying or worth the cost of a transatlantic flight for just 70 people. But anyway, it had a, it's weird to see a power plant, but the power plant listed, it had four Daimler-Benz engines, um, V16 diesel engines, and then um, some other ones aside from that. So just a huge piece of machinery that just floats around and every once in a while you don't see the Goodyear blimp anymore but as a kid I remember because living near LA you would see it all the time yeah just kind of off in the distance a gigantic blimp floating around indeed so locally in uh near Portland we have a little artifact of the Hindenburg ourselves Uh, so uh up at Pearson Air Museum uh in Vancouver Washington right next to the um uh the fort vancouver area right in right in that zone uh they actually had a bench that was one of the passenger benches from inside the hindenburg wow that's crazy snuck away yeah it's one of the only physical artifacts that's on display i was gonna say everything that's not metal probably just burned you know burned pretty quickly to a crisp i i thought where you were going um was that there is a giant blimp um hanger uh towards the coast and i forget it's like kind of in between seaside of pacific city or tillamook or or one of those but you see it from like 900 miles away and right now i think it just says air museum and we were taking a family vacation there and i was in the in the car with my, or I don't think i was even in the car but um we were following the car with my nieces in it and one of my nieces said that a museum for air? <laughs> <laughs> so very Zoolander yes. of my my adorable niece Andrea at the time. So that's fantastic. Anyway, uh, but yeah, that's so, all. That's all I had on that. That's that's really cool. And yeah, the oh the humanity, you know. And he's he's got the perfect trans transatlantic. Uh, yeah, that's what and, I was going to mention. All these very classic. Uh, you know, timeless uh, reporting things. Yeah, that that transatlantic accent is just so great. I wish I could get all my. I mean, I would. I think I would feel better about the news if it was read to me. Maybe that's what I should start for a YouTube. Another. That's what I need is another YouTube project. But all <laughs> news just read in a 1940s transatlantic accent. Transatlantic. That would be incredible. That would be. I I might do that. That's. <laughs> I will never do that, but somebody do that for me. Exactly. So while we've been here, um, uh, just uh, about 20 minutes ago, uh, as we mentioned at at the head of the show, my it's Mother's Day. And so Nick and I um, hired a pirate to go to my the house where my mom is staying at in chino california oh my gosh that's my hometown she's yes it is oh my Uh, gosh she's in chino so she's in chino and um and so nick did quite a bit of research of like funny people to come over to your house uh and stay socially distant uh and so let me that's pretty great i should have just had one of my friends do it (laughs) totally oh wow look at that that's great He's a full-size pirate. He's he's wearing his mask and, yeah. and the whole thing. And uh, 
uh, came over and, and visited my mom. That's and, uh, great. And some oh, friends good. that are staying at their house. Yeah. I was thinking about your mom today, too. All of my moms on Mother Day, I always like to think of Yay. them, too. So, well, thank you for, for bearing with me during the this herky-jerky delayed audio podcast. I'm surprised <laughs> at how well... Wow, how well we were able to, to read each other on some of this. So kudos to us on our broadcasting professionalism. So <laughs> um, any any last minute plugs before we take off here? I think that's it. Awesome. What a fun show. Awesome. Well, yes, we'll uh, listen to Fun Employment Radio. They're still broadcasting every day of the week. Uh, they beat us to the story of the, the wine-drinking uh, highway robbery guy. So kudos to them for that. But so pay attention to them. Pay attention to them. Pay attention to them. Uh, listen to them. <laughs> Uh, they do. They also do little happy hours. You've been doing happy hours too on uh, uh, Zoom happy hours on Friday nights, but I've always working, it, so I can never do it. Yeah. So um, four four thirty uh, every Friday uh, Pacific time. Go to party at marks com and uh, click on the link and just uh, introduce yourself. And 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 it's not always one specific group of people. It's just people that literally i haven't seen in 10 years uh yeah that's so uh, awesome joined other friends from church friends from old businesses that i worked at and and just friends off facebook and everybody else so uh drop in uh party dot com on uh friday afternoons yes uh and as long as you're after you go to Party at Marks, uh, go to my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash RIPVHS. Uh, and I have a new video that I just dropped uh, there uh, outside of it's, my regular VHS tapes. Genuinely hilarious. Good. And, uh, and you're, you, it's clear you put a lot of work into that and it definitely paid off. Good. And so, yeah, so. Uh, oh, highly recommend. Check out Todd's, Todd's new video. Uh, we have some ideas for you oh, uh, good. In, in the same vein. So we think uh, you, Todd, should be interviewing Dr. Uh, R.I.P. VHS and uh, have a face to face, if you will, uh, or back and forth kind of interviews. That's great. Uh, between between the two of you. But um, yeah, Brian, the Unipiper and I were talking about to, this to see it, to see to see that sort of thing done really professionally. You can it's probably on YouTube, but uh, Weird Al used to do stuff like that. And he's got a hilarious and he'll play this at his concerts too. a hilarious interview with both Eminem and Madonna. And they're so funny because, yeah, they're just taking taking the one side of the interview and then chopping themselves into, did you know that? And they might still do this, but um, if you worked in radio, you would get either a a cassette or a a vinyl record that were one-sided interviews. (laughs) And so it would give you the questions. And so your DJ could ask the question and then it would have like three dog night saying like, yeah, we love it. Or like whatever the appropriate answer for that would be. And they would just play that one sided interview and then splice in their own people, which is pretty great. That's, so anyway, great. Um, well, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you're staying safe. Um, we will see you guys next time. Uh, I will play the audio now from, um, from the Hindenburg crashing, the classic audio. So take care of yourselves and each other, which I believe is what Dr. Laura says, isn't it? Where did that come from? <laughs> I'm my kid's mom is what she says. I oh, think. <laughs> no, take care of yourselves and each other was Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer. At yeah. the end of his oh, show. Wow. Um, uh, now go take on the day was Laura uh, Schlesinger's ending. So she started with. That's right. With I'm my kid's mom. Uh, That's right. 
Uh, well, happy Mom's Day, all year, all kids' moms or whatever. So, all right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. It's starting to rain again. It's, the rain had uh, cracked up a little bit. They backed motors of the ship are just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from... It burst into flames. Get this started. Get this started. It's flying and it's rising. It's rising terrible. Oh, my. Get out of the way, please. It's burning and bursting into flames and, and it's falling on the morning fast. And all the folks between us, this is terrible. This is one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's just funny. Oh, four or five hundred feet into the sky, and it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. The smoke and the flames now, and the flames crashing to the ground, not quite to the mooring mast. All the humanity and all the fans are just speeding around it. I told you, I can't even talk to people. The friends are out there. It's a, it's, it's a, oh, I, I can't talk, ladies and gentlemen. Honestly, it's just like they're a mass of smoking wreckage. And everybody can hardly breathe and talk and screaming, lady. I, I, I'm sorry. Honestly, I, I can hardly breathe. I, I'm going to step inside while I cannot see it. <laughs> Charlie, that's terrible. I, I, I can't. I, listen, folks, I, I'm going to have to stop for a minute because I've lost the voices. This is the worst thing I've ever witnessed.